Father, we thank you today. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care for us. Uh, and Father, we pray this morning that we would know your presence amongst us. Lord, I thank you because you are good and what you do is good. And we pray for your goodness in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I prepared my sermon, and then I just felt God say something different this morning. I really want to, this is not necessarily a New Year's message, but I want to preach in line with what I feel God is saying that's coming out of the prayer and fasting. So when we get together, we pray, and at the end, we spend five, ten minutes just giving space for people to share what they feel God is saying. Now, one of the things that is really apparent that we need, we need presence. You know, the thing that challenges me more than anything about being a believer in Christ is that so often we talk the words, but we don't have the power behind the words. When you look at the life of Jesus, the crowds follow Jesus because not only did he speak the words, but there was power in what he did. And that's what we need. If I'm really honest, uh, if the church is looking to grow because it has a great band or because it has a good program or because it does things that are quite entertaining, it will never fulfill its mission. We need God's presence. We need God's power. And that's not on the platform, although that would be good, because the church is not this building. The church is every believer who is covenanted, I'll mention that again in a moment, who is covenanted to be part of this group of believers. That they've made an agreement, we will follow Jesus. You know, Jesus, when he chose the first disciples, he went to them and he said, follow me. And they had to covenant with him. That A covenant is basically an agreement. I mean, let's be honest, if Jesus says, follow me, and they didn't want to, then he would have gone and they would have remained where they are. And in this place, God has tasked us, each one of us, if you believe in Jesus this morning, you have a calling from God to express not just the love of God, but the compassion and the power of God into this area plus all the people that you know. One of my favorite scriptures in Acts is about Jesus. It says he went about doing good. You know, when I look at the news, I see enough stuff of people not doing good, of people going into schools and shooting people, of people raping people, of people uh, stealing stuff, all the stuff that we see every day. You know, we've got people outside the church that sell drugs. You know, all of this stuff is going on in our society and it says about Jesus he was different because he went about and he did good. Wouldn't it be amazing if us, as the people of God, we went about doing good? And the question comes, how do we do that? Because willpower alone can't make you do it. I mean, we're already into the season of willpower, aren't we? New Year's resolutions. Anybody made any? Yep, see, it's really good because you can make them when you're young. When you're old, you don't make them because you realize you don't keep them. You know, the, the, the gym sign-ups go up in January and then disappear by March. 
You know, willpower alone will not get you to live a good life. You may outwardly appear good to other people, but you know in your heart and in your mind what is going on. You know the life and the things that are streaming in your head. And so the question is, how do we become those who do good? Because we don't need just the intention, we need the empowerment to do that. And I want to read a scripture to you this morning that I think is, it's about Jesus, but because Jesus came and conferred on us the same spirit that he had received, I believe it's a message for us as well. And it says this, this is Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit or a spirit of despair, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of so many generations. You know, the anointing of God on Jesus brought him to the earth. He lived a life where he was unjustly accused. He didn't rail against it, but he allowed himself to be put to death because his anointing was about giving his life for other people. And actually, if we follow Jesus, that anointing is upon us as well, that we don't live our lives for ourselves, but we live them for others. Few people discover that there is more joy in giving your life to help other people than there is in doing selfish things. There is more joy in that. There is more joy in giving. There is more joy in being generous and in being helpful than there is in saying, this is just for me. I'm just going to do it for myself. It's for my gratification. It's for myself. And the, the irony is that in doing that, we can change the world. If you think about it, Jesus, just one man, changed the world. And 2,000 years later, we're talking about him because he started something through the forgiveness of sin, empowering us to be different people. And so I wonder which of these is for you this morning. That the Spirit of the Lord God is upon you. He has anointed you this morning to bring good news to the poor. People need good news. They don't need news that they've won the lottery. They don't need news that their pension is better. They need news that they've got hope and the future. They need news that says there is a peace that you can have inside. Jesus made this statement when he was leaving the earth. He said, never 
will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And then he went up to heaven. I thought, well, what's that about? It's because he left to be the external Jesus who walked on the earth so that he could be the internal Jesus who is with us all the time. You know, each one of us goes through challenges. And I don't know how you find it, but I'm in my 50s now and the challenges don't get less. And actually, they seem to be getting harder. I'm thinking, what's that about? And yet the thing that gets me through is the sense of the presence of Jesus. That when life is difficult, I sit down and say, Lord, this is too much for me. This is an overwhelming. This is going to drive me nuts. It's going to give me a mental health issue. It's going to cause me to despair. And I sit and this presence comes in and it doesn't change the problem, but it gives me hope and strength and peace and joy. And that's what we're about. We are those that God spreads into the community. We are bringers of hope. Hey, we're Hope Church. We bring hope to people. And, and the most amazing thing is how Jesus redeems things. You can only comfort people with the comfort that you've received, we are told in the New Testament. What does that mean? Well, it means if you've lost your husband, you can comfort those who have lost their husband. If you've lost a child, well, you can comfort those who have lost a child. If you're in sickness, you can comfort those who are sick because you can show them how to draw strength in the way that you draw strength. You know, we are comforted. The difficulties and trials we go through, they're not there so that we think, man, life is hard. They produce character. They produce strength. They produce trust. Every time we go through something we can't cope with, it should cause us to, to move more and more on our knees to trust Jesus. And he gives us a strength so that next time we do it even earlier because we think that's the only way. And it means we bring hope to other people. It means that they talk with us and say, how do you get through this? And say, well, it's the strength of Jesus. It's his spirit. It's the anointing that I have received. And if you ever want to change your life, you will only do it by receiving that anointing through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the only one who can change our hearts. I mean, we've tried it. I mean, come on, how many people in this world have addictions of all varieties and who've tried again and again and again to get rid of them and they can't do it because only Jesus can change our hearts? The good news of Jesus is that he can take all this stuff that is messing up our world and he can change our heart and he can make us an anointed good news bringer. And not only does it say here to bring good news to the poor, but it says to bind up the brokenhearted. I mean, how many of those are out there? Maybe you're brokenhearted this morning. Let me tell you, Jesus comes to bind that up. He comes to heal it. He doesn't remove it. 
You know, the amazing thing about Jesus is that every aspect of suffering, when he brings healing, leaves a scar, and that scar is helpful in our character and our helping other people. And so the things that we go through, they create humility in us. They create a trust in Jesus, and we can bind up the brokenhearted. And then it says to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison doors to those who are bound. My experience in 30 years of being involved in Christian ministry is the greatest captivity a person possesses is in their mind. There are people who have gone to prison for, create, for doing really bad crime, and when you talk to them, they say, well, I thought I would feel better now that it's confessed and I'm doing time, but they don't because they need the forgiveness of Jesus. And you know, our minds, we create prisons within our minds. Did you know the most important thing in your life is what you think about? One of the reasons I get more and more concerned about the television and, and smartphones and YouTube and all those things is they are feeding your mind with stuff that will bear fruit that is unhealthy for your life. How do we get rid of violence on our streets? Very simple, get rid of it on TV. It's actually really simple. I remember about 20 years ago, somebody brought out a paper of research that said whatever we view on TV in the soaps and the movies that we watch becomes prevalent on our streets five years later. You struggle with anger, don't watch violent movies, don't watch violent shows. You struggle with lust, don't watch stuff where there's loads of sex and nudity and stuff. Be careful what you allow your eyes. The Bible says your eye is a gate. And what goes in that gate embeds in your mind. And I don't know whether you realize this, but these things are difficult to get rid of. You see something and it is difficult to get rid of that seeing. God and his grace can remove it and erase it from your mind. But these things impact us and they make us behave in certain ways because it becomes part of who we are. We are a nation that is desensitized to violence. We really are. The amount of violence that is there, and if you read through the scripture, one of the things God absolutely hates is violence. He hates it. Where people have violent intent in their hearts. And we all sit here and say, yeah, I'm not violent. Are you violent when you drive the car and somebody drives badly in front of you? You ever thought about that? It's quite amazing how much anger can come up when we think we've been wronged. And so we are called to proclaim liberty to say, people, hey, there's freedom here. You know, I believe that there is a real devil. I do. And if you said to me, well, what's your evidence? My evidence would be that we live in a world that has amazing technological advances. We have all the knowledge we need on the internet, and yet on the base level, we are no better than we were 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago. We still do evil things. 
In fact, they increase year upon year that sometimes they are worse than they've ever been. I mean, I, I can't remember when I was younger ever hearing of children shooting children in a school. Can't ever remember that. And yet, it is prevalent. In America, I'll use a different nation, in America, they have more shootings each year than there are days of the year to have shootings on, which means there are multiple per day. The UK ours changes ours is knife crime because we don't have guns so much. And so the thing is, I believe there is a devil. And Jesus has power over the devil. He has power to set people free, to set them free from the way their thinking can be um, affected by the way the devil influences, to be set free from pain and hurt that is there, free from bitterness. You know, bitterness is a horrible thing. And bitterness comes when we don't forgive people. Let me tell you, if somebody has wronged you, the first thing you need to do is forgive them. Doesn't matter how badly they've wronged you, you need to forgive them because if you don't, you plant a seed in your heart that grows up to become a bitter tree and nobody will want to be near you in 20 years' time. I've met enough people in my lifetime and they share their story and where they are today are the decisions they made 20, 30 years ago. Forgiveness is not for them, it's for you. I forgive people because I do not want to become an angry, bitter person. That's why I forgive them. I mean, God knew it. He says, forgive these people. It brings health to you. And so we have this amazing anointing from God to bring people to freedom. You know, some people just need to hear a kind word. They just need to know that they're loved, that somebody cares for them. It's really amazing. I'm reading a book at the moment about planting churches through pastoring, and the man has story after story that the real power is not in the preaching. The real power is when we care for one another day by day by day. Who wouldn't want to be part of a group of people that loves them, that calls up and says, hey, how are you doing? Oh, you're not well, I'll come and see you, or we'll do this, or how can I help you? You know, that's what the body of Christ is all about. We are a family, we're not a business, we're not a charity, we might legally be a charity, but we are actually a family. And in a family, you care for one another, you're concerned about one another. And then it says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Wouldn't it be good this year that this year would be the year of the Lord's favor? How many of you want God's favor over your life this year? I do. I want God's favor in my life this year. But you know, the, the sentence is twofold here. It says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And you kind of think, well, how do favor and vengeance go together? Well, it's like this. God's favor rests on those who trust in him. But when he returns, it will be the vengeance of God that is unleashed. Because God is a just God. And a just God does not just forgive wrongdoing. It needs to be punished, and it was punished in Christ. But for those who don't accept Christ, they will take that punishment themselves. 
And so there's a twofold thing here, that there is the favor of God as we follow God, as we make God our life, and that there is the recognition that the day is coming when Christ returns. 2024 heralds one year closer to the return of Jesus Christ. And then we have a whole section about mourning. You know, Hope Church in 2023 has had more than its fair share of mourning. And here is the good news, that God gives us a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. That he gives us gladness instead of mourning, praise instead of a faint spirit. I know I want you to continue, I know you guys do, but to pray for those who've lost loved ones. I don't know what the statistic of recent is, but about three months ago, the UK has a 10% higher death rate than normal across all age bands. And so we need to pray. We need to pray for those who've lost a loved one. And as we live in that anointing from God, the scripture says that we will be called oaks of righteousness. You know, oak trees are those trees that withstand the storms. I mean, we've had a lot of storms recently. They withstand the storms. Uh, they're dependable things. I don't know if you remember a few months ago, uh, some vandal cut down that famous tree that was used. You know, the thing is, the tree was a landmark. It was kind of, it was familiar. It was something, yeah, we know this. And that's what God wants us to be like. He wants us in our communities and in our families. He wants us to be those landmarks. He wants us to be those dependable ones, say, well, you know what? Everything will go wrong, but Simon, he'll still be there, or, or Sam will still be there, or Fran. You know, wants us to be dependable. And so we become those oaks of righteousness. And then I, I really love just this last section they shall build up the ancient ruins and they shall raise up the former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. We are called to rebuild the amazing things of God. The things that we've heard in generations past through revival, through what God did, we are called to rebuild that, that the church should be strong. Why should the church be strong? Because everything good that we have in our nation has come out of that. The NHS came out of believers. Uh, removal of slavery came from believers. All the things that are enshrined in our law came out of people who believed in God and they rebuilt those things. And now, as our nation turns its back on God and says, we don't want God in our parliament, we don't want God in our schools, we're beginning to see a decline in the United Kingdom. And so it's our job. God has anointed us to be those oaks of righteousness, to, to rebuild, to rebuild those things, to, to raise them up and say, come on, it's time to get back to biblical values and to see that amazing grace and peace from Jesus. Last thing this morning is that this is not just for one or two select people. The anointing is not just for pastors or church leaders. It's for each one of you. God wants to anoint 
each and every believer. He anoints them and he wants you to know and experience the amazing love and power that he brings. And I want to encourage you this morning at the start of this year, don't know whether you have any space in your diary, but to spend some time with God and say, Lord, would you anoint me today? Lord, would you pour out your spirit that I might be an oak of righteousness in the connections of people that I know? Let's pray for a moment.